Thank you for tuning in to the Piney Grove Baptist Church Podcast. Today's sermon was recorded August the 6th, 2023. The selection of scripture is taken from Acts chapter 9, verse 23 through 31. A sermon entitled, Seeking Peace and Growth. We hope today's message is edifying and uplifting for you. May the Lord bless you. One of the greatest testimonies of all time for church that a church can exhibit to the world that is lost and dying is a testimony of inner peace and love. And the Bible tells us that the world, they will know us by the love that we have for one another. Not only is this the greatest testimony and calling for a church, but it enhances and it enables a body of Christ to present the gospel to the world so that the world will listen to a gospel proclamation because the church is peaceful one with another and has love and unity with one another. Martin Luther, the Protestant reformer, said the importance of the church and how it must engage the culture with the good news. Martin Luther said, he stated, the church that preaches the gospel in all of its fullness, except as it applies to the great social ills of the day, is failing to preach the gospel. Implying that preaching the gospel on every occasion and every ill of society and life and culture is not only appropriate, but is expected by the church. And so, church, I say that to say this, that before we preach and before we teach, And before we talk of Christ, and before we make much of Christ, we must make sure that our house is in order as well. The question is, how can we be effective in the world? How can we be effective in our community if we are not growing in peace and unity and and in love? And so today we turn our attention to Acts chapter 9, verse 23 through verse 31. It is in that last verse, 31, that speaks of growing in peace and in growth and growing in the peace and of the knowledge of who Christ is and being comfortable in the Holy, in the Holy, Holy Spirit. We'll see an example of the church seeking peace and growth and unity. So I ask you if you will, again, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. I'll be reading from verse 23, chapter 9, through verse 31. This sermon, if I had to place a title upon it, would be Seeking Peace and Growth. Verse 23, when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. When he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out amongst them at Jerusalem preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spake and he disputed against the Hellenists. But they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off through Tarsus. Verse 31, so the church throughout all of Judea 
and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Father, we ask you that you would bless this reading. Father, not only is it God-breathed, Father, they will speak to your church today. Let us have ears to hear what you say to your local body here this morning. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, please. Now, last week we were reintroduced to, to Saul and his conversion on the road to Damascus, which is probably one of the most well-known stories in New Testament. We could say the conversion of Paul might be up there with Jonah being called to, to Tarsus or Nineveh. And so it is right up there in the stories and the narratives in Scripture. And Saul is on the road to Damascus. He has an encounter with the Lord Jesus. And this encounter with Jesus is replicated the world over by everyone who has ever been saved by Jesus. And even though we haven't had a Damascus Road experience, such as the light shining around us and hearing an audible voice from the Lord Jesus, if you have had an encounter with Christ and have been born again, then our worldview has changed the way that we think changes, and as our worldview changes, we are then sent on a mission to grow in our faith and to make much of Jesus. This encounter in Jesus changes our worldview and sets us on mission for Him. Saul was sent into Damascus and to pray, and the Lord comes to Ananias, and Ananias is sent to Saul to assist him by assuring that he is indeed called by the Lord Jesus. He prays over Paul. Paul is healed. These scale-like things fall from his eyes. And he begins to go out and begins to preach to his brethren in the synagogues, which will become a habit of Paul in his ministry until his dying day. He preaches to them Jesus. He preaches and persuades. He preaches Jesus to them, and the audience is more concerned about, how, about Saul's now-changed demeanor more than they are about the message that he has. And they say in Acts chapter 9, 21, just a few verses up, they say, And all who heard Paul or Saul were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who call upon this name? They wouldn't even say Jesus. Has he come here for that purpose to bring them bound before the chief priest? Is it that his purpose? And now he is here proclaiming the very name that he has been forbidden to preach in. So this encounter has genuinely changed Saul's way of thinking, it changed his worldview, and an encounter with Jesus will, will change you and has changed you as well if you know him. I will say this, if you come to know Christ, if you are a child of God in Christ Jesus, you cannot stay the same. You will not be the same. 
So today we finish this journey in this particular section of Scripture through Acts with a sermon that I have entitled Seeking Peace and Growth. But I want to continue with this theme of encountering the risen Christ. We spoke of encountering Jesus will change your worldview. Encountering Christ will set you on mission. But there's a couple of other encountering facts I want to bring and highlight to your attention today. And that is, number one, a true encounter with Jesus. A true encounter with Christ will reveal opposition. If you preach Jesus long enough in the public square or wherever you might preach Christ, opposition will arise. Saul was now preaching in an effective way. And as I mentioned last week, Saul or Paul has become in the canon of Scripture as what we call a debater or persuader par excellence. He is the top next to Jesus we have the Apostle Paul as a persuader par excellence. He is the top of the top. So now he is teaching Jesus that he is this long-awaited Messiah. He is persuading, he is attempting to persuade his brothers in the synagogue. And with this type of preaching of the good news also comes bad news. Well, what's the good news? Well, Jesus died on the cross. He rose again, defeating death, hell, sin, and the grave. What's the bad news? We're all sinners destined for hell. The bad news in this episode is that the religious high order had killed their Messiah. The good news is Jesus came to forgive. The bad news is they are sinners who actually committed murder and killing the Messiah that they have been long waiting for. And this type of preaching is not popular. You might say, well, preacher, what type of preaching is that? Well, the type of preaching, expositionally, that points out sin. That sin is, in fact, sin. And we sin because we are sinful. We are full of sin. And if we are in our sins and we are not of Christ, well, guess what? Our destination is an eternity without ever experiencing the goodness of God, but only experiencing the wrath of God for all eternity. My friends, that is not popular proclamation today. That is not popular preaching. With the good news, there's bad news. I'm a sinner. I'm lost and I'm done, undone. Call sin what it is. In fact, verse 23 narrates, it says, When many days had passed, the Jews had plotted to kill against him. The days of Saul's preparation has, uh, has, has been complete, it seems. He's now ready to preach, but not without obstacle. And this is an all-too-familiar chart of action. If you remember, Jesus rightly interpreted the law. He rightly interpreted the commandments. He spoke truth and... Uh, and the Jews plotted to kill him. They plotted to kill Christ. And so they plotted to kill his followers as well. As Jesus said that persecution will come. When persecution comes upon you, Jesus doesn't say if persecution comes upon you. He says when persecution comes upon you. And so as they plotted to kill Jesus, so they do his followers as well. What we see projected in verse 16 is actually coming 
to pass where the Lord would say unto Saul, I will, or Ananias about Saul or Paul, that I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And he is now beginning to feel the pressure of persecution. Saul found out very quick how Stephen had suffered at the hands of, of, of in his own life. And now how Saul is on the other hand of this and his life was in jeopardy in Damascus. And the Lord brought, I think, Saul here to this point to show, to demonstrate this is the old Saul. This is a picture of the old man. This is the picture of the old self. And Saul's been called out of that way and now he is called to be zealous for Jesus. The plot became known to Saul and they were watching the, day, the gates day and night and they were, they were looking to kill him. The, the Jews here in Damascus, they were plotting to kill Saul and they lay in wait to persecute him. He had gone, Saul had gone from persecutor to the one being hunted for death. Now the language that is given here that they were watching the gates gives us an indication that they were constantly and vigilantly watching the Damascus gate in signs of Saul for Saul's presence. In case you haven't realized, the enemy will play dirty and go to the ends of the earth to negate the gospel message. The enemy will do all that he can to shame your testimony. He will do all that he can to keep the gospel proclamation from going forward. He would do all that he can to keep missions subdued. He would do all that he can to shame your name and try to dismantle the message of the good news. But we know that Christ is the victor. Christ is victorious. We have victory in Jesus. And our very proclamation of Jesus is saturated that he rose again the third day. We have victory in Christ. Verse 25, his disciples took him by night and they led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And the disciples took Saul and they let him down through this, through this opening or over in the wall. And even to this day in Damascus, some of these walls can still be seen today. Some say that archaeology has become the Bible's best friend. And in this case, you can see some of the remnants of the very walls into which Saul was let down at this Damascus this Damascus gate. And they let him down in this big woven basket, this basket that would hold big bales of wool. And as thick as this wool was that was let down in this basket is the irony just as thick. And here's the irony. The irony is thick here because this escape by night by the help of these men were the same men that Saul had come to destroy and who was on mission to destroy and to wipe out altogether. And these are the very same people who are helping Saul escape. This is a shameful reminder to Saul. This is a place where Saul would be brought to humility. No doubt it was humbling. The Lord has a way of using our past experiences in life and bringing us to a place of humility. I've always tried to think to myself in a discipline for myself to, man, you have to stay humble. Know where God has brought you from. 
Because as quickly as we exalt ourselves, just as quickly the Lord will come and knock those blocks out from under you. It is good to look to the past, not to revel in it, but to learn. To learn and be humble, to know where we come from. And the Lord has a way of doing that, bringing us to a place of humility. And He certainly has done this here with Saul, as we will read later in his letters how he was a, a Hebrew of the Hebrew, a Pharisee, and of the law he was without reproach, and yet he counted all as refuse, all as dung for the cause of Christ. His brothers and sisters in Jesus in Damascus helped him escape death, but then comes another conflict. Saul finds himself in this catch-22 of sorts. Verse 26 said that, that he, had, he had fled from Damascus, and now he had come to Jerusalem. And as he had come to Jerusalem, he wanted to, he wanted to join the disciples there. Verse 26, it says, And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. They had a hard time believing that Saul the persecutor was now Saul the zealous for Jesus. And of course they were afraid of Saul, and we probably would have been as well. He was the head ringleader for initiating persecuting persecution against the way. And maybe they thought he was trying to deceive them or trying to get inside, maybe fronting a ruse of, of, some, of some sorts. They were afraid of Saul. A.T. Robertson said this of this encounter. He said that Saul, or he, had left, he left a conquering hero of Phariseeism. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisee. He returned distrusted by the disciples and regarded by the Pharisees as a renegade and a turncoat. He made no effort to get in touch with the Sanhedrin who had sent him to Damascus. He had escaped the plots of the Jews in Damascus only to find himself the subject of suspicion by the disciples in Jerusalem who had no proof of his sincerity in this alleged conversion. They were simply to take his word. In some places, especially in Jerusalem at this moment, he did not have a friend. He did not have, as it seems, an ally, only the risen Christ. And we will see in just a moment how one will step up and how one will represent Saul to these disciples. Now, let's think about this transaction for just a moment in the world that we live in and the culture that you might find yourself in as well. Some of us might actually feel like this. For some of us, Following Jesus is countercultural, uh, meaning in your surroundings to live out your faith might actually be countercultural. You might have some co workers or even some friends who really do not share the same thoughts that you have about Christ and His church. In fact, you might come across people that you come in contact with through everyday life, who might say, well, there's nothing but hypocrites in the church, or I got burnt by the church years ago. And so they may not see the same way that you see about the church and about Christendom all together. There might even be instances where you generally feel alone and without a friend in your surroundings. But I must say this to you, that you do have a friend. Number one, a friend in Christ Jesus, and secondly, you have a friend in your church community. We are called 
into the body of Christ to edify, to help bring unity, and to help grow. It amazes me the very refuge that people need in this walk of life is the very thing that is shunned and the very thing that is neglected the most. And that's the beauty of the gospel, is that the Lord has gifted us with the body of Christ to fellowship one with another. When I, when I was saved, the old hangouts, the places I used to go, they did not have the same appeal to me. I didn't care about the bars, I didn't care about the clubs, I didn't care about the system of the world because the allure of Jesus was much more than the world and we must cast our vision to Him. Not meaning that that doesn't mean that we, stu we don't stumble along the way because we certainly do. We haven't reached heaven yet and if we think that we have reached some pinnacle of perfection, the Lord just needs to take us on right now. But the things that used to have allure don't have that same allure. I think of the Irish hymn, Be Thou My Vision. Be Thou My Vision. There's a line that reminds me of this truth. It says, Be Thou My Vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save Thou Thou art. Thou my best thought by day or by night, waking and sleeping, Thy presence my Light. He is our vision. He is what holds us together. And so when the enemy comes to rally against the church, when the enemy comes to rally against you, remember he is our victor. He is our vision. He is our light. It is he who illumines our heart and illumines our mind to the truth that he has not left us alone. Not only has He not left us all alone because He has gifted us with the indwelt Holy Spirit, but He has not left us alone. Look to your right. Look to your right. Look to your left. The Lord has gifted us one with another to help edify and to build us up. He has not left us alone on this journey together. And yet, and sometimes it is the most neglected discipline of our faith. So not only will it reveal our opposition, but it will also reveal our allies. And we see this ally in Barnabas. We'll see how the Lord is continuing to grow His church. And He uses people who are obedient and who are selfless. And such is the case with the encounter with Barnabas. The disciples here in Jerusalem had a hard time believing Saul. And uh, I like this in verse 27. A lot of times we see this conjunction, and we sometimes call this a gospel conjunction because we say we were in our sins but God. In this case, it, this is a time where we get assurance from the Lord that Saul is not left to his own devices. He has an intercessor of some sort here, somebody who is a representative, and that is found in Barnabas the encourager. Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to him how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Barnabas, a little bit about Barnabas here, he is from Cyprus and he is described in Acts chapter 11. We haven't gotten that far yet, but he is described in Acts chapter 11, verse 24, as being a good man. He is a faithful man. He is full of the Holy Spirit and he is full 
of faith. And he was willing, he was willing to represent Paul. It is to the acknowledgement of Barnabas that he had the awareness and the nerve to stand by Saul at this most critical moment in his life when the evidence seemed to be stacked against him. Now, I want you to notice that there is no interaction between verse 27 and 28. And we might say, I would love to be a fly on the wall and to hear this exchange. But the next verses do not elaborate upon Paul's acceptance into this apostolic circle. We do not get, we are not privy to this information. But what we do see is the byproduct of this conversation. What is the byproduct? Well, the byproduct is this. They must have taken Barnabas at his word because the Bible tells us that Saul went in and out amongst them at Jerusalem. He was preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. It appears Saul was accepted and he went preaching Jesus from the Hebrew text. He preached from the Old Testament, proclaimed to them Jesus is Messiah and preaching the good news. So I got to say this, friends. It, it pays to have a brother or a sister in your corner. It pays, to have, it pays to have somebody that you can, that you can rely on. That, that somebody in your corner, somebody you can say is my friend, I can tell them anything. I can tell them my struggles, what I'm working through, my doubts, crisis of faith or whatever it might be. It pays to have someone who will have your back through thick or thin. That's why I am so grateful for the servants in this church and many more those who you might call the deacons of Piney Grove. These men will do whatever it takes to serve this church. These are men that you need to have in your corner. I am so grateful, not only for the deacons, but many of the Barnabases in this church who are encouragers, people who, will, who, who you can count on in this church, people who are encouragers and who will stand up for what is right. I want to tell you this, it makes it a lot easier to preach when you know that people are supporting you and are praying for you. It's easier to know and much easier to teach in a Sunday school class when you know that there are people who are praying for you every, every week. Somebody in your corner, a Barnabas in your corner, an encourager in your corner. Now, once Paul was given the green light, if you will, of acceptance into this apostolic and evangelistic circle, he went preaching. What did he do? Well, verse 29, he spake and he disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. Once again, Saul found himself in opposition of these Hellenists, this Hellenistic Jewish order. And these are the Greek-speaking Jews in, in, uh, in Jerusalem. Again, here is another place of irony. Okay, another place of thick irony because this might very well be the same place where Stephen was tried and Saul was standing close by, where Stephen was, was stoned or tried and Saul is now on the other side of those, those stones. He's facing this death himself. Now, I got to say this. I know through the blood of Jesus, through Christ's sacrifice, His resurrection, the good news that Christ died for our sin. I know through the blood of Christ that we are free from the stain of sin. Amen? We are free from the stain of sin. But I cannot help 
but think. Maybe the Lord brought, brought Saul back to this place to remind him of the old man. As he writes about in his letters, he writes of the old man, of taking off the old man and putting on the new. Maybe it is to remind him of the old man and to help bring humility and to, to cultivate the new man that Saul or Paul would become in Christ. The brothers learned this. They went, took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to his homeland, sent him off to Tarsus. And if they were looking for evidence of Paul's or Saul's conversion, here it is. I mean, I, I know guys who have gone undercover, uh, undercover detective or something like that, but man, if you get into your role like this, you're really going above and beyond. He is not an undercover spy at all. He proved himself. This was all the evidence that they needed. Saul had a genuine encounter with Jesus. They sent him off to a temporary place of Tarsus. It was in Cilicia where Paul doubt, doubtlessly preached the gospel of Jesus. We find in Galatians 1.21 where Paul says, Afterwards I come into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And once they realized this reality, once they realized that the Lord is at work, I want you to think of this next verse. Okay, because we see joy and peace swept through Jerusalem. I want you to think of, of verse 31 and Acts 1 and verse 8, okay, as I read this together. So the church throughout all of Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up or edified. And they were walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It multiplied. Why? Not just because Saul was now on the side of Christ, not just because of that, but because they were encouraged by the movement, and the work of the Lord. This is actually what Jesus had predicted would happen. If we were to read verse 1-8 and to think about Acts 9 and verse 31, we can frame these up together. We find in Acts chapter 1 it says, You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And we see this church having comfort of the Holy Spirit and multiplying. We see that they will be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. And now we find themselves, they find the church in Galilee and Samaria and Judea and having peace and being built up. We'll take to the ends of the earth this good news. And here they are seeing tremendous growth. They have just seen a zealot who was against the way, against Jesus, now turned zealous for Jesus and they began to see multiplication in Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. And by the time that we get to Acts chapter 1-8, by the time we get to the end of Acts, the apostles will begin to dip their toes into the uttermost parts, which we have seen a foreshadowing of this already as Philip encountered the Ethiopian eunuch. It amazes me, again, how people neglect the fellowship of, of the church. We see from the day's narrative, Saul was encouraged. He was re, reinvigorated. He was, he was encouraged. And as a result, the proclamation of the good news went, went out, went forward, and the church benefited and the church grew. Here is the beauty of, of the church is that the whole church is is one entity, one foundation of the church is Christ Jesus. As this one entity, we have 
it existing in many members and in different places. Shaped by one grand designer of it all. The Lord has built us together by His Holy Spirit. And this brings us comfort. It shows us that however small each one of us might be, considering ourselves small in stature or in ministry, each one of us has a place in the kingdom. Each one of us has a place in the kingdom of God. Maybe what, maybe what I'm saying is this. Maybe here's what I'm saying. When individuals in the body of Christ fail to find their place, there's a void. There's something missing. It's like if I was going to make a, a pizza and I forgot the crust, or if I forgot the bread, or, or, or maybe I was making coffee and I, and I forgot the beans. I mean, not much coffee there, is it? What I'm saying is this. When there is a void in the body, it is, it is noticeable. There's something missing when the corpus, the body of the church, is not together. The reality is this, the church has a hard time growing with all the elements when the elements are missing. Barnabas came to the aid of Saul. People were being encouraged by the zeal and by the preaching of Saul, proclaiming Jesus as Messiah and the, and the church grew. Let me ask you this in closing. Are you the one that needs to stand in the gap? Are you the one that needs to reach out and help fill that gap next to you this morning? Maybe you're here today and you need to make that commitment of filling in the voids of this body of believers. I, I have been on a mission for a while to turn that old paradigm that says that 10% of the church does 90% of the work. I would love to turn that paradigm To say that 100% of the church does 100% of the ministry. Maybe it is you today who would fill that gap in this body of believers. What course of action must you do to fill that gap? To stand in the gap. To aid in the growth of this local body. To help this church seek peace, unity, and grow together. Together. In the image of a game, we can get off the sidelines, get in the game, and serve. A true encounter with Jesus will change our worldview. An encounter with Jesus will set us on mission. An encounter with Jesus will reveal opposition, but it will also reveal our allies. That's you and me. And by doing so, we will see peace, we will see unity, and we will see growth in the kingdom of God. Let's pray.